was relating to it last week, I was describing book one of the Psalms as a symphony of sorts and how it has its highs and its lows, and at some point it has its lowest of lows. And that is Psalm 22 set before us this morning, that we have hit the lowest part of it. But I praise God for this psalm. And this morning, I'll not ask you to stand due to the length of the reading of this, but I ask that you would read and reverence the word of God along with us this morning. In Psalm 22, verse 1, to the chief musician upon Ageleth Shehar, a psalm of David, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart, my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. 
They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and light and reflection of this psalm. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we cover one of the most wondrous psalms in all of the psalms. God, they're all so wonderful as we cannot imagine. And God, we, we dare not lift one above the other, but God, how this one can cling to us. Father, we thank you for your son's repetition of some of the words of this. Father, we thank you for the fulfillment of this in your son's life and his death upon the cross, oh God. Father, we thank you for the hymns that we've been able to sing this morning because of what his work is and because of the way of his that we get to follow, oh God. Father, may we cling to you with everything that we have, both in the wonderful times and both in the awful times and in all of the in-between times, oh God. Father, may you use this song to bring us to rejoice and be glad in you and to cling and cleave to you as well, oh God. Lord, we pray that you feed your lambs and feed your sheep, giving all the honor to your name and glory. Father, we just pray that you would be with us always. In thy son, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. This morning, of course, you, you, you may know well from the cross that even Christ Jesus, as he was on the cross, one of the last sayings, there are something like seven sayings, I believe, that are recorded in the various gospels of what Jesus said upon the cross, and this being one of them, where even Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So we know that there are messianic connections. We know that there is a connection to Jesus being upon the cross. So really and truly, if we know that the hymn book is really a book all about him, if we know that the Psalms are all about him ultimately, we know these truths and we're, we're anxious to look to Jesus and to say, see all the fulfillments. And, and surely there are wonderful fulfillments. But it wasn't <coughs> Jesus first who said this. It was through the Holy Spirit through King David. But it was King David that said these things. It was God's king for God's people. And we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks as we've been working our way into Psalms, as we do in between books so many times, is that Saul was the people's king for the people. And he didn't work out so well. But God had his intended king for the people. David wasn't the final one to come. David was only the precursor to the one that was to come. But all the same, David is God's king for God's people in this present generation. And here it is that King David is saying these things. King David is crying out, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How many times that we've talked about King David was anointed to be king over Israel, and yet he would not inherit the throne for a really long time at his first anointing. King Saul was still on the throne. He would have to go to where even King Saul was trying to kill him, and yet King David knew that he was to be king according to the promises of God. None of the promises of God seemed to work out quite the way that David may would have expected in his life. Surely, I don't know at the exact time when King David wrote Psalm 22. There's speculation about what part of it is, but I don't have it here contained in the words where it was, where he was in his life. But I know whatever the point was that he knew, he felt as if he had been forsaken by God. But I love how King David, he says, my God, my God. He's not calling him somebody else's God. He's calling him his God. Now, he's not using the name of the Lord, as we so often see it here in all caps in our Bible. But as we see it here, he's saying, my God, my God. He's not referring to him in that personal sense of Lord just yet. But he recognizes that he is God. And he recognizes that he is the all-powerful one over his life. What a saying for the king to be able to cry out and say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? people will tell you many a times, and I don't like it when it comes from pulpits, they're like, don't ask God why. Don't you dare ask God why. And I'm like, that's just nowhere in the Bible. There's people all throughout the Bible that are asking God, why did you do it this way? Why did you do it that way? Beloved, but your attitude better be in check. The question itself is not wrong 
oh God, why did you do this? But the attitude behind it may be wrong. I don't think that David's got a wrong attitude when he's saying this song. I think David has got the right attitude. He's saying, my God, my God. He's reverencing God as who he is. And he's saying, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? King David recognizes the situation with God that he is far from him. There is no nighness unto God. And what a blessing it is for those that have been born again that you know what it is like to walk closely with God. But I imagine that if you've been saved for any length of time, that you also know what it is like to walk separated from God, to walk in a season where it seems to be that though you may never have been forsaken in your life, it feels close to that. Though it seems that you're still seeking to walk for God, it seems that he grows silent. It seems that he's no longer speaking to you in your life. It seems to be he's no longer walking there with you. And I would submit that there, there are seasons that we have departed from God in some sense and we don't even know it. But, beloved, sometimes I'm convinced God just lets us go ahead a little bit without him. And we haven't paid attention. It's not that God has stopped walking with us as we've declined to be mindful of his presence. It's not that God has left us. No, you've been born again. I don't believe that you get the, according to the Bible that I read, I don't believe you get the Spirit at a second time. No, when you're born again, that's the receiving, that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as I understand it within the context of the Word of God. So I don't believe God's just leaving you all of a sudden, but that he's always presently there with you. But just because he is with you doesn't mean sometimes you don't feel like he's far from you. Sometimes you're walking in a season of where you seem to be doing all the right things. You seem to be doing everything God would have you to do, and yet it seems to be that God's far from you. I think about King David, and I think about his life of pursuing the kingdom that he knew that he was supposed to inherit, but he had to also be subject unto King David, unto King Saul. He had to submit himself unto King Saul. Though he was to inhabit the same position, though he was God's anointed man, so was Saul God's anointed man. King David had to walk after King Saul. King David had to follow what King Saul was doing. King Saul was not the rightful man for the job, but till God removed him, he was still the man on the job. Sometimes I have difficulty with that. I don't understand why God works in a certain situation. I don't know why God works in a certain capacity, but God is calling out for us to be faithful to him, and it seems as if we have been forsaken. It seems to be that he is far from us when he is helping us, and he's not even hearing the words of our roaring. How many times that we cry out to God and it seems we only get louder and louder. I don't know about y'all. Sometimes I've gotten loud with God. It may not even be loud in tone of voice. It may just be that I've gotten loud with God, that I've gotten a little bit more desperate in my crying out to Him. And it still seems to be that as stubborn as what I am, God seems to be more patient than I am stubborn. His patience to let me sit and think for a while sometimes outstretches my ability to keep shouting and to keep roaring. He's far more patient than me. He said in verse 2, he said, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. Give it to King David. He just won't shut up. Give it to King David because of his importunity. He's willing just to keep knocking and knocking and knocking on the door of God and begging and pleading that it should happen in his life. Beloved, what a wonderful truth it is that we may persist in our calling out to God. He does not grow tired of us. He does not grow weary of us calling upon him, though sometimes he may not answer us. Sometimes it may be a position in God, and in God it may be a place in the will of God and the way and the work of God for him not to answer us according to our time frame and according to our standard. It might be that we have to be with King David as much as we are crying out to him. I'm thankful that this passage has the word but in it. I long ago was told to look for such phrases 
in the Bible because they're transitional is that they're changing the avenue that if you're in conversation with somebody, I got to one time with a local municipal, with a bunch of local municipal leaders, we were taking some kind of leadership class and one of the things was a communication class and it was a, if you do this kind of conversation, if you want to end the conversation or change something, if somebody has just told you something, you say, yes, but, and that will change the entire dynamic of the conversation versus saying yes and, and it will actually build onto the conversation. King David is not adding to this conversation. King David is switching this conversation. He is saying, but thou art holy. That everything that King David has just put before him in two verses, it's as low as King David has ever been in any of the Psalms just yet. It's the lowest section that we see. And yet King David's response to his own lowliness is, but thou art holy. Beloved, sometimes we have to look at God and understand that it is because he is holy. His holiness far outstrips anything that we're able to imagine, anything that we were able to think. In circumstances and situations that I don't understand, where I feel God has forsaken me and will not hear me despite all of my crying out to him, it may just be my responsibility to remember that he is holy. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. One thing I love about King David He's never just individualistic. He's never just about the individual. King David is always bringing all of Israel into the picture. Beloved, there is something about us that as Christians, we're never able to be fully on our own. We're never able just to live a life of individuality. So many times I see people that claim to know Jesus, that claim to know him as their, as their Lord and Savior, as they would call him, and yet they want to be divorced entirely from the church. They want no connection with the church. They may say in their minds, they may say, well, I have no part to do with that, and I just can't find a church that I like, and I can't find this, and I can't find that. And I'm like, if you would get your eyes out of it, you might be a whole lot better off. If you would understand that despite some of the difficulties, you need a home place, you need somewhere that you call the body of Christ. Beloved, you may be in a season where that changes. We've had some. We have some in our lives that are looking, that are searching for different things in our lives. Beloved, keep on searching for whatever God has, but never let yourself be divorced from the church. That's what causes death in the life of a Christian, is when we're cut off from the vine, we'll be cut off from the rest of it. And then when God is growing one of us, he's not just growing one of us, he's growing all of us. Shed Road, we're growing together. We ought not be growing apart. If we're growing apart, if we've got this group over here growing, and we've got that group over here, if we're divided into factions, something is wrong. There may be different branches of the family, but we're all connected to the same central tree. We were out looking at the apple tree this morning, and that apple tree's a mess. If you look at it, it's interwoven, it's interweaved, it's tangling, it's prickly, it's all of these different things, and yet it is all growing to produce forth fruit. And yet the fruit of the harvest is abundant in it. Sometimes it needs pruning back. We've had some of it fall off. Sometimes something has to fall off the tree, but beloved, the rest of the tree may begin to flourish, and the fruit may be harvested from it even still. Just because there's different branches it should all be still working to the same purpose that what he is recognizing is King David says, but thou art holy, thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. It's not just that he is God over King David, but that he is God over all of Israel. He is inhabitants the praises of Israel. That it's not just King David that has problems. It's not just King David that has praises. Though everybody has problems, everybody has praises. Let us join together that we may have more strength. He said, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. King David knows the promises. He knows the assurances of God. He knows that they have been delivered in every generation. He said, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Beloved, verses 3 through 5 are wonderful verses. As downtrodden as he is 
in verses 1 and 2. He seems to be even higher in his praise in verses 3 through 5. Maybe not even his praise as much as his remembrances. Sometimes we just need to pause and sing out the praises of God, even though we don't feel like singing them. Sometimes the lowest point of your life is when you need to be singing the most. I love to think and remark on that one of my favorite movies. It's, it's a favorite movie of us. I'll not call the name of it, but it, it involves a museum. And it involves where there was this apparent Pharaoh, again, this fictional story, but it involves this Pharaoh that he sees somebody that was Jewish, and he said, oh, we used to love the Jews when we had them in Egypt, and I was Pharaoh over them. They were always singing songs. And he looked at them, the Jewish man did, and he said they weren't happy songs. They were dreadful songs. They were mournful songs. Beloved, sometimes we have to sing a sad song. Sometimes it's not a happy song that we sing. Sometimes there's a time for mourning. There is a time for us to absolutely be in dust and ashes and to repent and trust in God. There's a time of your life where you need to be low. But it will lead you to rejoicing, even as it did King David. When you sing the solemn songs, let them never be divorced from God. When you sing the solemn songs of your life, let them be rooted in the assurances and the trusting in the promises of God. But even still, as much as you praise him, look what King David does in verse 6. When he gives another but, he changes the conversation again. He says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. King David is the king. He's over all of Israel. He's over one of the most he's over one of the biggest kingdoms in that particular era. He's over one of the greatest kingdoms in that particular era. His son Solomon is going to go on and be an even greater king as far as regard from the rest of the world. Not in character, but as far as regard from the rest of the world. King David is the man. He's got a lot going for him. And yet he is saying, I am a worm. I don't know what at what point of his life this is, but King David recognizes his humility and his lowness before God. If ever you have been brought before God by your circumstance, what it has truly done to you is humbled you before God. There is no pridefulness when we come before God. There is humility. And yet, as the book of Hebrews says, that we may come boldly before the throne of God. It blows my mind that we come to him boldly and yet in humility. Beloved, if you come to God boldly, it will be with the greatest humility you've ever experienced in your life. If you remember what God has done for you as low as you are, if you remember that you are a worm and a man, a reproach of men, and despised of all the people, well, you've just started to get into a pretty good place. If everybody else in your life is despising you, if all the world is despising you, you might actually be in a pretty good place. It's not fun to endure. It seems that they're calling out. It says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Well, surely we're looking at the cross to where they're saying he saved others. Let him save himself. Yes, our mind is immediately drawn to that. They're mocking and berating Jesus, even as he is on the cross. King Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what even King David is saying. But I submit to you that if King David went through this, and if King Jesus went through this on the cross, you and I may go through some of these same things sometimes. We may have people in our lives that mock us and ridicule us for the way that we are going. I haven't prayed through it this morning simply because I forgot to. I'm being honest, so maybe we'll get to it later if I remember it. I'm forgetful. We've been praying here lately the Beatitudes. As we go to Matthew chapter 5 and we look to the Beatitudes, and we look as they mock and revile us and say all manner of evil against us falsely for his name's sake. Beloved, that that is a blessing unto us. That shows us the favoring of God. One thing we ought to begin to understand from the Psalms is sometimes the favor of God upon our lives 
looks contrary to me, everything the world may say about us. That we should be lowly when the world says we should be magnified. It seems to be that we live in a more individualistic society than we ever have before. That everything is about the individual. Everything's about what you and you alone go through. Beloved, I hate to say this, but sometimes you don't matter as much as you think you do. That's just the truth of it. If we would actually come to a point that we just don't matter as much as we think that we do, we might all be a little bit better off. If we would understand that there is a greater purpose, that there is a greater power, we would begin to understand what he is. We would begin to say with King David in the beginning, as he said, my God, my God, the one that he is submitted to, the one that he is under, the one that all of Israel is under, he is the one that is in charge. Even as we truly do trust in the Lord, that he would deliver us. We know that he will deliver us because we delight in him. Though they mock us for it, we know it to be true. In verse 9, he says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. But thou art my God from my mother's belly. He knows that he has always had God as his God. There has never been one moment of his life before that King David did not belong to God. He's always belonged to him in that sense. He knows who's always been his God. Beloved, ever since you've been born again, you've been one of his. Just because you stop enjoying certain blessings of God doesn't mean that he's no longer your God. Just because it doesn't seem to be that everything's going your way anymore doesn't mean that he's no longer your God. No, he has been your God from day one. He's God of all the universe. He's God of all the world. And yet sometimes we don't recognize him as such. But, beloved, what a blessing it is to cling to him that when you've been born again, you know that he's yours. You know that you can cling to him. You know that you've been his. And you go back to that promise. He says, be, in verse 11, he says, be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. King David has exhausted all his options. He's the king. He's the top of the top. He's got to go to the one that's above him, the pillar of he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. All the greatness of the rest of the world has compassed him about and is pressing down on him. And he says in verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. They seek to devour him. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Beloved, I find no stopping point in verses 14 through 15. As much as I would like to pick every phrase apart, King David just continues to paint this picture of how terrible it is in his life. I've experienced to where my heart has physically hurt from things. I've experienced in recent days of somebody else's heart hurting so physically that everything about them hurt in their chest. But beloved, I've never had my heart melt within me like wax. And yet that is the comparison of what King David has had. I've gone through some tough things where their heart hurt badly. But I don't think I've ever had it melt like wax within me. I don't think I've ever had to face something quite like King David is describing here. Saying it is melted in the midst of his bowels. His strength is dried up like a potsherd. His tongue cleaveth to his jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. King David is as low as he's ever been in all of his life. Sometimes you're brought to the lowest point you've ever been to. He says in verse 16, he says, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. Yet again, we're seeing Jesus upon the cross. But yet King David experienced these things too. He says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Beloved, this is if he's having an out-of-body experience. It's so bad that even his bones are able to look at him and to be able to see his condition. It seems to be he is saying to paint the most awful picture. It seems to be that he's lost so much that all of his skin is clinging to him in such a way that even his bones can look at him. It seems to be what it is. One of the worst things I've ever heard of is when somebody breaks a bone and you can see the bone protruding. Pretty bad image, isn't it? Even more, it seems to be the exact image that King David is giving us here. This is a grotesque thing to look through. Beloved, sometimes the Bible, to our sensibilities, paints a picture that we would not want to see. And this is one of those occasions to where, imagining all the bad things of the cross. If you've ever seen The Passion of Christ, that movie that came out in 04, 05, whatever year it was, there's some horrible scenes in that movie. And yet it does not begin to do it justice. It has a rating of R, if I remember correctly. It's rated R because it's not meant for young children so many times. It's got some grotesque imagery in there, beloved. It's not all easy to understand in the Bible. It's not all easy to receive the imagery of this. And yet King David is painting himself in this picture. And as much as King David endured, Christ endured it much more. As awful as it is to watch that movie, The Passion, as great of a movie as it is, as awful as it is to watch the sections to where they are whipping Christ Jesus, where he is hanging upon the cross, as awful as those scenes are to watch, it was much worse for him on that day. As awful as it is to read the accounts of it, Beloved, it doesn't begin to paint the picture of what he was actually going through. It wasn't just merely the physical elements of it all. It was that truly Jesus had been forsaken of God. I submit to you, I'm not quite sure David had fully been forsaken of God. But I will submit to you that Jesus on that cross was forsaken of his Father. For all of eternity, a concept I cannot truly begin to understand, he's always had perfect fellowship with his Father. All through his earthly life and ministry, he's had perfect fellowship with his Father. And yet in that moment on the cross, he truly is forsaken of God. In that moment, he is forsaken because of the sins that you and I should have borne, that Jesus himself bore. Every imagery of it is far worse. It doesn't begin to compare with how far worse the actual reality of it was for Jesus. At the end of it, he says, in verse 18, he said, that they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Another thing that was fulfilled on the cross of Christ. And they were trying to cast lots for his. Who's going to get this element? Who's going to get that element? They were trying to get everything he had, even though he had much of nothing. He wore a seamless robe. He was as poor as poor could be. But even what he did have here on earth, they were trying to get him. Not because they loved him, but because they were making a mockery of him. Verses 1 through 18 are as low as any point in the Bible I've been believe. But I praise God for verse 19. Here's why I submit to you that you ought to have a dramatic reading of the Word of God. It's because if you can find a dramatized version of the Word of God, it's going to sound really weird to you at first. When they were mocking Jesus, the dramatized version I've been listening to, they used a really weird voice, and it was almost funny to listen to it. And I was listening to it as they were mocking him, and just this nasally, terrible, awful voice that they were using with him to use as they were trying to get a communication across of how terrible it was for Jesus to be mocked and how foolish it was. But I'm thankful to this dramatized version because of what it does. How many times have we talked about the major keys and the minor keys? 
They've been playing in a major key, verses 1 through 18. It's been as dark as it could possibly be in verses 1 through 18. Some Good Friday services, what they will have, I'm still not sure why we call it Good Friday, even though it was the best for us. They'll have what's called a candlelight service. And in the candlelight service, what many will do on that Good Friday is, as they continue the readings, as they continue the singings, as they continue through the scope of the service, another candle will be extinguished. The building will be mostly dark, and another candle will be extinguished, and another candle will be extinguished. Until you have the last remaining candle as you read the last passage, and they extinguish the last candle. Beloved, that's exactly what this picture is in verses 1 through 18. The last candle has been blown out, and everything is just in complete darkness. What I used to do at the Fine Arts Center that I used to work at, I loved it. I could set the lights on the timer so that bit by bit, it just got a little bit darker, and a little bit darker, and a little bit darker. So that the people that were there could not even begin to tell, but all of a sudden they were in the midst of darkness and they knew that it was time to leave. But you know what I love to do as much as I love just to see that light slowly come down? I love to blast the light back off and to see how it would chase the darkness away. Playing with lights was a really cool thing. And it's made me think of this passage all week long because in verse 19 he says, but... It's been a minute since we had one of them, but praise God that King David included this button here. He's been playing in the minor key, but blasting forth is this trumpet of this major key where he says, But be not thou far from me, O Lord. If Jesus read this upon the cross, and I don't know whether he did or not, it seems to me that King Jesus had Psalm 22 in his mind as he was on the cross. I don't have record of him. I have record of verses 1 through 18. But it just makes me wonder, did King David get down to verse 19? Or did King Jesus, rather, get down to verse 19? Was he able to look forward to the joy that was set before him so that he could despise the shame of the suffering of the cross? That for the joy that was set before him, he would be able to endure it. Beloved, because of the joy that was set before him is the exact reason that Jesus was able to suffer these things. He said, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. Oh, my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Everything that he's been walking through, how the dogs have come past him, the bulls of Bashan have come past him, do you see how he's reversing everything? Do you see that the glory of the cross is that Jesus reversed the curse? The curse that was upon you and I, that we should die a death, and that was all that we had to do, was to die death, and that ultimately we should have been cast into a lake of fire to die for all of eternity. I can't even begin to understand what that would be like in my head, and yet it is that they were supposed to die for all of eternity. He has reversed that curse. Everything that was happening before the cross is now being reversed because of what has happened after the cross. He says in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Once again, it's talking about King David over here. He's steadily praising God. He says, ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he that, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, my praise shall be of thee of the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Y'all see what King David has just done in these few verses. How he talked about how it got so personal that it came down to just King David. 
uh, came down to just the psalmist. But then he expanded the audience to include all of Israel, that all of Israel was supposed to be including him. But it doesn't just end there. No, he looks here in this verse, and he says here, he says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied, and they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. But then in verse 27, he says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. That the work of King David, of King Jesus upon the cross, is not just limited to one individual group of people based on heritage. Though it is something that has far expanded, it is unto the nations. That the mission that you and I have is unto the nations. That we don't just stop in our communities, but we spread it through every opportunity that we have. Some of you have served in the military. You had the great opportunity to go to the other nations and share him. I wonder, did you? If you didn't take that opportunity then, take it now. We live in a wonderful country where we've got many different people from many different countries and many different backgrounds. You've got the opportunity to share Jesus to the nations such as nobody has ever had before. If that's not good enough for you, just take like the televangelist and all of those and just go to the web and start to proclaim him there if you need to. Whatever it takes is that he has come for the nations. He didn't just come for a localized group of people. He didn't just come for just us and no more. He didn't come that we would build citadels and just stay within them. No, he made for us to be a people that would go out into the rest of the world. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. That the gates of hell are not going to keep us out, but that you should charge forth. As brother, as my former pastor, Brother Butch Tant, used to say, he says you ought to be well to charge, charge hell with a water pistol. There ought to be something about you that there is this kind of just joy about you. Beloved, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beloved, sometimes our zeal goes the wrong way. Our zeal is supposed to be making much of Jesus. Let it not become much about us. Let us not be there's a Documentary, I've not watched it, so I can't recommend it. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying the name of it. Documentary out there called Shiny Happy People. Beloved, you're not meant to just be shiny happy people. You ought to be happy. And there ought to be a shine about you. And the reason they call it Shiny Happy People is it's just fake. Beloved, there's never one time in the Bible that he asked you to be fake before him. He never said, don't you dare come to me with your cries of despair. Instead, he brings you to him with your cross of despair. He invites you unto him. Beloved, he's not saying that you're supposed to be made much of. He's not saying that he's going to lift you up above all these things. Beloved, sometimes you're supposed to be as a worm. Sometimes you're supposed to go through the lowest of lows in your life so that you may look to the cross and see the reversal of all things. You look to the cross and you don't see that you've just magically become a better person. You see that God has completely reversed every situation in your life to where you once desired these things. You no longer desire these things. You instead desire Christ. That every desire of your life should be pointing to him and you ought to be telling everybody else about him. It says, all they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Beloved, if you've made it to the point of witnessing the cross in your life, of witnessing the cross, and I'm not talking about the cross that you bear, though you ought to pick up your cross and follow him. But instead, I'm talking to you about the cross of Christ. That if you look to Jesus and you see his cross, if you look to Jesus and see the work that Christ did, you also see the way that you're supposed to work in your life. 
It is there is the work of Christ, but there is also the way of Christ. That when they were first called Christians, they were not first called Christians. They were instead called followers of the way is initially what they were referred to. They were walking the way of Jesus. Is That's the kind of life that we ought to be having, is that we ought to be walking a life that is holy. We ought to be living a life that, yes, they may mock us because of who we trust in. Yes, they may say all these things about us, but let us be with King David that we turn it into rejoicing when we're met with the finality of the cross. When we see Friday, when all of the lights have been extinguished, let it be that we chase it forth with the brightest of light. Let it be that light come bursting forth through in our lives. Let that light so shine in you that it will shine through the rest of the world. Let it be that you've got such real joy about you, such real peace about you, that it cries out to the rest of the world. Don't be surprised when they mock you for it, but always let it be shining forth in your life. When you suffer these things, as we've been praying in the Beatitudes, let it not be for your own account, but let it be for his account. We do not live this life for us. We live it ultimately for God. What amazes me the most, and I promise I'm trying to land it, what amazes me the most about the cross is how Jesus made everything about his Father, how Jesus never made anything about himself, how the ultimate truth that if he was saying King if he was repeating the words of Psalm 22, do you notice that King Jesus made nothing about the cross about himself? But that he ultimately rested in all and trusted by only God? Beloved, the best thing you can do in your life is to make it all about God and not all about you. I submit to you that will be the biggest challenge any of us face. We don't want to do our thing. We don't want evil to be spoken against us falsely. But let us bear with honor the cross that Christ has given us. Let us bear one another's burdens as we have opportunity to do. But finally, let us rest in the assurances of the work and the way of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. We pray that you would engraft it within us. And we pray that we would be bearers of the will of God. Lord, we pray that we would not be a fruitless group, but that we would be a mighty fruitful group of God. Father, not for our own sake, but for you and for you alone, God. Father, we pray that have trust in your work and to follow your will. We pray all of this in thy son. Amen.